There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. David? Yes? Did you watch a little NFL draft this weekend? I watched a lot of NFL draft for, for, you know, on the David Shoemaker scale. Yeah. How about some draft TV notes to get us Let's going today? Let's do it. All right. Draft starts Thursday night in primetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With the Star Spangled Banner and a military <laughs> flyover. This is a military forward uh, NFL draft for sure. There's a debate about whether every sporting event in America should start with the Star Spangled Banner. (laughs) Is there even a debate about whether the draft should need that to commence every year? It seems a little bit strange. Just a little bit? But I'm not sure. Are there rules about when the Star Spangled Banner should be used? (laughs) Like like the way you can fold the flag and whatever? Like, are there guidelines? No, it's like the Boy Scouts. Where you bury a flag when it's been damaged? No, I think I don't think that's written down anywhere that the draft from Kansas City must have an anthem to begin. I think we could just start it if we want to. Like if we had an all hands ringer creative meeting, would it be appropriate to begin with the Star Spangled Banner? <laughs> Only if we all have to sing it in unison. I think. <laughs> you also texted me. I believe this was day three. <laughs> yes, it was day three. That Roger Goodell came out in kind of business casual. Business casual is giving it, I'm not saying too much credit. This was not, it was like, this was, this was, I got back from vacation and came straight to the office sort of look. (laughs) Very casual. This is not what we grew up with is business casual where you could like leave your tie at home. I was thinking after you sent me that text that the pandemic draft might have been the height of the draft in terms of production. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it stripped away all the anthems and the jet flyovers and the big stadiums. And we just had a thing where we picked players by Zoom call. Mm -hmm. And Bill Belichick was sitting at his kitchen table and it was fine. No green room to worry about people waiting too long in. We need more business casual at the draft. I don't know. I don't have any problem with what he was wearing. I think it it, it was more of an expression of my own personal anxiety, which is if I were him in that position, I would be backstage saying... I just have to go out there for 30 seconds to kick this thing off, to do a little military tribute, like whatever. What should I wear? What should I wear? And the and for me, the answer is always, if I have a suit and no one will question the suit, you wear the suit, mm. right? Like, I'm not going to wear a suit to like coach my kid's soccer game. That would be odd, but I will dress as, a, as nicely as I can for that occasion for fear that I'm going to get it wrong if I go in the other direction. So it's like nobody would have cared. Roger Goodell could wear a suit could, to go to the ice cream shop. Nobody would nobody would bat an eye. So it's a real choice to go out in something so so much less dressy. But you know what? He rocked it. It was great. Certainly put a sense of day three over the whole proceedings, you know. Let's not worry too much. Clearly the commissioner is not that worried. I kind of want you to become the Tom Landry of youth soccer. <laughs> 
Wearing a suit. And it's a tweed jacket and a, and a hat. Yeah, I think you could. I could probably pull that off. I do. I, so I, so I don't. Of youth soccer. I don't know if you've. I, I know that you've had some 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 uh, little league baseball practice, and you and we probably are pretty similar because you did stats. I have generally like one to three kids that I'm rotating in over the course of the game. My entire obligation. I mean, I spend the entire game just with a little notebook in my hand and a pen figuring out my next substitution. And so, cause it's like every five minutes, I got to yank two people out and put two people in. That's it. That's, that's all my brain can manage. <laughs> Another thought from the draft. This was in front office sports. Mel Kuyper Jr. should be in the writer's wing of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We in that on seems, that? That seems much less controversial than the Star Spangled Banner. I think so, too. Partly because those awards, if we're being honest, is often for length of service mm-hmm. as much as the greatest writer broadcaster of all time. And Mel's been on TV for 40 years now. But I also think if we're talking about the most imitated Inf- sports writers in America. Influential for sure. I mean, Mel is, Mel might have snuck into the top five. Yeah. I wouldn't have said that 20 years ago, mm-hmm. but look at Twitter on draft weekend. There's a mini Mel and there's a mini Mel and there's a mini Mel and they may say, hey, I'm modeling myself after Dane Brugler or whomever, but he created a job in sports writing. Mm-hmm. That is now a very, very stacked category and seemingly getting bigger all the time. Well, I mean, the, the, the entire presentation, the entire existence at this level of the NFL draft, I think, can be attributed to the work that he did, right? I mean, when he was putting out those first Kuiper guides, like nobody, like they were, they were for like 45 people, you know, he didn't just create the, the, the job, he created the audience, you know, and now it's like, could you imagine could you imagine texting one of your uncles being like, hey, the Cowboys drafted Mazzy Smith and they were just like, never heard of him, don't care? You know, <laughs> like, no, everybody that's invested in the team has like at least a dense paragraph's worth of knowledge on anybody that they're going to take. You know, and totally that's true. thanks to the work that Mel Kuyper sort of pioneered. That's how you, when I was one of those 45 people who got the Kuyper Guide in 1993. Mm-hmm. I remember I seeing guess- those at your house in high school. I desperately wanted it. One of those cool royal blue guides. Mm -hmm. This was pre-internet as we know it. So I found out he was coming on a local sports talk radio show when I was at school. So on my way out the door, I put a cassette tape. This sounds like like stories my grandfather told. Mm -hmm. I put a cassette tape into the radio and pushed record so that it would catch this segment that was going to happen while I was at school, came home, rewound the tape, got Mel's 800 number and called it to get the guy. That actually happened. That in and of itself should get him into the hall of fame. Just the, <laughs> <laughs> the legacy of you trying to get that guy. Um, yeah, that's really incredible. One last note on the draft. I have long made peace with the draft being an infomercial for the NFL. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But something really weird has happened with fans at the draft where when any player is picked in any round, ESPN cuts to the fans and they are jumping up and down and celebrating hysterically Mm -hmm. into the camera. Yeah. Now, this is a problem, David, because that's not how human beings process the NFL draft. The NFL draft is about anguish, elation, and everything in between where you call that uncle you referred to and they go, okay, I'm okay with Mozzie Smith. (laughs) It is not like, yes, yes. Oh my God, this is absolutely incredible. Nobody acts like that. I I was was watching it. With the exception of like 10 picks in the whole in the whole draft they're probably getting coached right by whoever is standing next to the cameraman so what so give him a break but i was watching was it a lion's pick i forgot what it was and there was a sort of middle-aged guy uh who was fully decked out in all the gear and they were and he was just cheering yeah 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 yeah. and then they announced the pick and he took a beat to kind of look downward away from the screen to process the name of the pick and then we're right back to the same totally detached rah 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 like screaming 
and I was just trying to imagine. So he definitely didn't know who the player was. Like this wasn't no day one. I was trying to imagine what the beat was for. Like, is he just making sure that the team didn't like trade the pick for cash or that like, <laughs> I don't know, like one of history's greatest monsters was picked in that spot or something. Like I just, I, I would really love to, to interview that guy and see what he was thinking in that moment. There were so many like that. Yeah. I was watching in the third round and the Patriots drafted Marte Mapu linebacker, Sacramento state. Mm-hmm. Now, I looked this guy up. He was actually a person that those mini Mel's were in on. Marte Mapu. You cannot tell me the group of Patriot fans at the draft were like, yes, yes, Marte Mapu. Got him. Absolutely who I wanted in the third round. Yes. Yes. It's really funny because this strikes me as what the NFL thinks good TV is. Mm Mm-hmm versus what television producers think good TV is. Right. You know, when they shoot the stands during a Cowboys home game, the fans aren't going crazy if the Cowboys just fumbled or if the Cowboys ran for three yards on first down. Yeah. There's a variety of reactions. So we need to go back to the 90s, the 80s, when the draft was at the Marriott Marquis in New York and only weirdo Jet fans showed up. They would (laughs) boo. They could be mad. Or just kind of nonplus, like, who's that? I mm-hmm. heard of that person. Maybe they'll be good. Okay. Too much excitement. No, That's it is. It's, 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 it's too much. But yeah, the draft is all about the upside, right? Yes, but it's also all about knee-jerk reaction. See, you're talking like the NFL, Mr. Goodell. Oh, it's all about the future. It's about the journey. No, it's not. It's about the fans being like, hey, that was a reach. Yeah. <laughs> we got that guy two rounds later. They should just have, for the live audience, they should just have a me- instant draft grades. Or better yet, like a meter, like one of those, you know, where you do the hammer thing at the at the sideshow, where it's like, <laughs> see how high the thing goes? They say Marte Mapu, and it just shows with, all you know, graded on the curve of the pick number or whatever, like how good of a pick this was. And the fans are watching it tick up and up and up and up, slower and slower. <laughs> and then it caps out at like a, like a C plus... And they're yes. just like, oh, we couldn't have done better than that. That would be great. That was that was Mozzie Smith on my text threats, let me tell you. <laughs> can I ask you a Mozzie Smith? Can I ask you a Mozzie Smith question? Sure. So I'm being interviewed. I'm I'm sorry, I forgot by who uh after the pick. He had already talked to obviously the Dallas people or whatever, and they asked him about uh his his seeming deficiency in in um attacking the quarterback he's just a, a run stopper and it's sort of st- the 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 attribute list stops there um and then the person interviewing him said is that something you need to work on and he was like yeah and it's something that the cowboys coaching staff believes that i can do but there was a there is a brief pause and i wonder in a moment like that is the player worrying about going off script is the player worrying about saying something about the coaching staff that maybe they didn't actually say or is it just PR is PR? You say what you got to say in front of the camera. Probably the latter. Yeah. It's a good question. It seemed very you, well coached for, you know, the interview. So that was, that's, that's positive. Yeah. You wonder how much has been related to Mozzie Smith in that couple of hours or one day between them picking mm-hmm. him and him actually going in front of the cameras. But fascinating question. Coming up on today's podcast, David, Joe Biden is running for re-election. Sort of. We discussed the president's media cheat sheet and the funniest bits from the White House Correspondents' Dinner. In NBA notes, we talk about a Q&A with Giannis and offer some new words for midsection. Plus, a final thought on the talk show host, who always left us with one, Jerry Springer. All that and much more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. media consumers, Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, Erica Cervantes with you here. Uh, David, let's begin with this week in 2024, because we got some big news. Joe Biden kicked off his re-election campaign last Tuesday with an estimated 50,000 cheering fans in his hometown of Wilmington, Delaware. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just kidding. Biden put a video on Twitter. (laughs) Here's what Biden said to make the Krasenstein brothers chant four more years. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we're in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. 
The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead, we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Now, if that announcement seemed a tad low-key, mm-hmm. it's a preview of things to come. Here's Politico's Jonathan Martin speaking on ABC's This Week about what kind of campaign Biden is going to run. But it's remarkable that he puts out a video, gives a speech that nobody really pays attention mm-hmm. to later <laughs> that day. And that's the entirety of his reelection for a city president. But that's what we're in here. It's going to be uh, a Rose Garden campaign, to put it mildly. And the idea of sort of him engaging in the hurly-burly of the campaign is just never going to happen. He's going to be low-key, avoid the press, and try to keep the focus on Trump and the GOP. So my question is, can Joe Biden win with a Rose Garden campaign in 2024? Um, God, I don't have a good answer for this. Uh, I think that, it, it. listen, it does seem like, going back to the last time Trump and Biden ran against each other, that an enormous amount of this contest is sort of baked in, right? To the point of almost a feeling of predestination or, you know, that, that, so, so does a Rose garden campaign, is is that going to be functionally different than, uh, you know, barn burning, whatever, you know, whistle stop campaign. I mean, (laughs) I like how you were searching for the 19th century (laughs) word there. Uh, just going to reach into my bindle of tricks here and see what I can come up with. The Soapbox. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I understand the question. Um, and I do think that a lot of, a lot of, I, I do think a lot of the action from the Biden campaign is going to be reaction, a sort of measured, um, uh, you know, serious statement through a through a slight grin sort of uh commentary on whatever his opponent does um so you know and 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 frankly you know marshalling the 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 platform of sitting president has been proven to be helpful time and time again i I think it can work i just don't think that i think that that i bristle at the at the notion of pre predetermination or whatever and 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 you know, w- would probably say that no plan. You can't make you can't make any plan now that's going to be the definitive way forward, unless it's totally by accident. No, it's true, and you could see a scenario where his poll numbers look bad at some point, or you know, semi bad, and he has to do something else. Right? He has to go out in the stump a lot more than he wants to. Mm-hmm. He has to engage day to day with Trump a lot more than he wants to. Yeah, but I think his message is going to be very, very similar. 2020, Joe Biden said, I am not Trump. 2024, Joe Biden's message is, I am still not Trump. And if you watch the video that he put out, you know, he talks about overturning elections, banning books, eliminating a woman's right to choose. Uh, Another video, cutting Social Security, MAGA extremists. We're hitting these notes but at a more basic level, it's the reason you named him the Kobe stopper. Mm-hmm. His whole political talent, his whole political cell is around, I can beat Trump. Yeah. And now it's, I can beat Trump because I did it once before. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is at least slightly different. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to base your ca- your campaign around predestination or in this case, inevitability. That's the right card to be playing. Well, we're gonna do yeah, we're gonna do this again. Okay, let's do it again. Mm-hmm. I guess when we talk about that, the only thing I noticed a lot of us thought Joe Biden was gonna win the 2020 election by many more states than he actually did. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't gonna be a relatively narrow victory if he did have some cushion in the electoral college. Yeah, I think that it'll that I think that this is going to be a very very intriguing election for just micro targeting. I think that you know there's going to be a I think we talked about this before, but you know it feels like there's going to be about 
1500 people spread out in two states that are going to be deciding this election, you know, <laughs> and, we're gonna, and their lives are going to be fucking miserable for the next couple of years. Are they going to be in those CNN panels? We're constantly <laughs> if they asking have time for the CNN week? panels. They just deliver their ballots directly there. I'm also interested in the media aspect of Biden running for reelection because it strikes me that the media had to put it very mildly, a lot of doubts about Joe Biden. 2020 in the Democratic primary, mm -hmm. you would have had to look pretty hard to find reporters that thought he was going to win the nomination early in that campaign. Yeah. Before South Carolina, before things obviously started going his way. Then he runs a basement campaign during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. There were also a lot of doubts about that strategy. Remember those articles that would come out and a lot of Democrats are questioning this. David Axelrod co-wrote a New York Times editorial being like, are we sure this is a good idea? Yeah. To just kind of not campaign. So I feel 2024 is going to have this shadow of the media having been wrong about Biden tactically once before. Mm -hmm. And the way they're trying to process this is through that lens. They'll still question yeah. him. That I don't think, I think you could go find a lot of reporters right now that think maybe, you know, would bet that Biden doesn't win re-election, that somehow Trump wins or DeSantis or somebody else. But I think everything they write about him is going to be through that idea of we were wrong about this last time. And how do you think that's going to pan out? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think Biden knows how that's going to pan out. It's a really interesting question because the age, you know, issue was a real issue. It's uh, now even more of an issue. Well, that's just it. Is it the no your normal human reaction would be to say, well, the age, I think what we learned four years ago is that age doesn't matter. Well, now he's four years older, you know? I mean, so is Trump. He's four years older and he's not popular. Maris poll that was done right before his announcement, 41% approved, 50% disapproved, which is about what Trump's approved, disapproved numbers were when he started running for reelection in 2019, according to Maris. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. But then you read down the poll and you find this sentence. Overall, 64% of U.S. adults said they do not want to see Trump become president again. Mm -hmm. So I'm not Trump. I'm not. Still not Trump. <laughs> still not Trump. Not me. I'm the Kobe stopper. I was fascinated by the story this week of the Biden press conference cheat sheet. I don't know if you saw this. Biden was doing a presser in the Rose Garden, speaking of Rose Gardens, with the South Korean president, listen to the first question a reporter asks during this media avail. Thank you, Mr. President. Your top economic priority has been to build up U.S. domestic manufacturing in competition with China. But your rules against expanding chip manufacturing in China is hurting South Korean companies that rely heavily on Beijing. Are you damaging a key ally in the competition with China to help your domestic politics ahead of the election? Okay, China and chip manufacturing, right? Mm hmm Well, a photographer took a picture of a piece of paper Biden was holding in his hand. The piece of paper said, question number one. It had the name Courtney Subramanian, mm -hmm. the LA Times reporter who in fact asked that first question. It had a picture of the reporter, and then the cheat sheet had a preview of what the White House thought the question was going to be. Yeah. This was all on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. But as Paul Farhi writes in the Washington Post, for many years, White House press office employees have routinely polled reporters about their priorities and interests in advance of news meetings to anticipate what their boss might be asked while on the podium, dot, dot, dot. Every White House press office will try to go around and take the temperature of reporters, said a veteran White House reporter who asked for anonymity in this article. They want to look smart in preparing their boss for what we'll throw at them, dot, dot, dot. But in their advanced conversations, reporters rarely offer anything as specific as Subramanian's topic. The typical answer is news of the day, which leaves the options for questioning the president open. You don't want to give away your question, said the veteran reporter. It's incredibly bad form to do that. So this is interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Joe Biden has a cheat sheet that has at least some notion of what question he's going to be asked. Yeah. 
and in what order he's going to call on reporters. What do you make of that? I guess I don't have like a major issue with it if it's like pre-established, if they would just sort of announce that in the fine print up front or something. I mean, I do think <laughs> Wait, there's is this the fine print to get into the White House press no, no, office. No, no, no. Like when it's like airing on C-SPAN or whatever. Oh, I think that, Joe Biden knows this question was coming. Yeah, knew this uh, question was coming. Listen, I think that there's a tension here. On the one hand, are we are we interested in our president speaking off the cuff? Are we? Te- is it sort of like a quiz, or are we interested in like having like the best answer to the questions? I mean, obviously, for a press conference implicitly they're kind of speaking off the cuff or they're speaking in real human terms and not from a script, whether or not they know what's going to be asked of them. But also it's like the point of, if you're a news reporter and you say, what do you think about, you know, do you, what do you think about this microchip policy or whatever? You want the answer, right? And not like your president to be like, I don't know. Or, or like, yeah, if I recall correctly from the meeting and then say something incorrect, Right. I mean, you're not or or, you know, the right answer with a gaffe on the way there. I mean, certainly like the gaffe would get a lot more attention, probably get a lot more engagement online. But but the presumption is that you're looking for the answer to a question that you're asking, right? Like the correct answer. So. I assume as a reporter, you'd be you'd be grateful that you're getting the answer. Now, there is an element of this, obviously, a huge element of sort of the president's mental fitness and 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 felicity with ideas and engagement with the, the broad scope of his policy and everything else. Yeah, I mean, nobody's particularly interested in hearing the president say, I'll get back to you on that, right? So, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I don't... First of all, I wish I had note cards with the faces and the names and the something they might say to me for my kid's soccer team. That would be super helpful for every <laughs> all the players uh, and just about for everything else in life. Um, but yeah, I mean, whatever. Like, it feels gross. I'm not quite sure, like, morally what my problem is with it, but it feels a little bit icky that they'd be doing it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, just say what you're doing up front, you know? And, well, I think everybody will just sort of follow along. Your point about gaff hunting is really good. I'd say the problem with it, and Farhi talks about this in the article, is that what if they look at the list of topics and say, oh, well, we don't want to answer that question, so we're not going to call on that reporter. Oh, well, you're right. That's a really good point. Because then you look at it and you can just be like, well, never call on that guy because he's asking stuff about questions about things we don't want to talk about right now. In this way, it seems like we were available to the press, but we actually just answered the questions that we thought would be most helpful to us. Yeah. Yeah, that's no good. But your your point about actually wanting an answer, like what is the administration's policy in some detail? And apparently Biden's answer was actually quite long and (laughs) detailed, much more than you would think he would be able to talk about chip manufacturing off the top of his head. Yeah. The other caveat here is, Subramanian apparently asked a different question than the one that was on the cheat sheet, but it was slightly different anyway, and had said that semiconductors were merely one of the topics she might ask about at mm-hmm. the press conference. So it was not exactly like, you know, she is saying a scripted question that I have on this thing. It was more of a topic. Right. Farhi also <laughs> says, what if reporters don't honor what they said they were going to ask? <laughs> so what if you're like, all right, let's go over here. I have an understanding you have a question about uh, chip manufacturing. You're like, actually, I want to ask about Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah. Speaking of chips. <laughs> or, or just or just 30 seconds on chip manufacturing followed by Baba Booey, Baba Booey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you could, I guess, you know, do a right turn there. Yeah. No, I think that I think that that's I mean, I don't know. That's an interesting one because you would think in any other segment of polite society that would just be like okay well you did it and now you can't come back now you're not going to be invited again but that really does you know it's not like you were under any sort of like legal obligation to to no preview your the question for the president and what if something else occurred to you um but i do go back to what you said about mental acuity especially with biden at 80 years old you should probably we should probably get a fairly regular and in biden's case not nearly regular enough you know, a couple of minutes, more than a couple of minutes of him at the podium answering questions. Mm-hmm. 
so we can see how he's doing and where he is. I'd say that with any president. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of part of the job. Mm -hmm. And part of the job should be talking about your administration's policies, if not in hyper, hyper, hyper specificity off the top of your head. Mm -hmm. You should sort of know this stuff. Yeah. Um, I do like the reporters who are like, what are you going to ask about? I don't know. News of the day. <laughs> it could be anything. What do you think of Giannis and the Bucks losing in the first round? That feels like you're at like some uh, like like um, local municipal office and you're like trying to get you to your bathroom remodeled. And it says like, oh, it says description of property. No, no, no. Just put in news of the day. It'll go fine. Like, what, yeah. It's like just the thing that you figure out you can write in that somehow will be accepted. None of your business seems like a fine answer to me if they're asking, what are you going to ask? Uh, finally for you, David, this week in 2024, Roy Wood Jr., who we know is a Daily Show correspondent, was the comedian at the Correspondence Dinner, the White House Correspondence Dinner. He was an interesting choice because his dad, he said this in his speech, covered Vietnam, various wars in Africa as a reporter, was a radio pioneer. His mom was involved in the civil rights movement, talked a lot about that. This is how Wood introduced himself to the crowd of media and political luminaries at the beginning of his speech. I'm well aware that not everybody in this room knows who I am, so let's just address the elephant in the room. I know what it is. Half this room think I'm Kenan Thompson. <laughs> Other half think I'm Louis Armstrong. <laughs> President Biden thinks I'm the dad of y'all family matters. What are the odds that Joe Biden understood a family matters joke. <laughs> you don't think he'd be like, do you mean Reginald, Vel Reginald Vell Johnson? <laughs> One of America's greatest treasures. Um, there's no chance. No, and there's no chance. Joe Biden knows what family matters is. Joe Biden's in the family matters demo. He was home on week weekday nights watching sitcoms with the rest of us, wasn't he? Friday Friday nights, he got home, got off the Amtrak in Delaware. Was it and... exclusively Friday? I feel like it moved around a little bit. But you can imagine that, right? Long week, it's long week in the Senate. Mm -hmm. Got off the train, put his feet up, cracked a cold beer, and watched Step by Step and Family <laughs> Members and Family Matters and Full House. I don't think he had any idea. He was smiling during that joke, by the way. As you might imagine, David Tucker Carlson's name also came up. Scandals. Scandals have been devouring careers this year. The untouchable Tucker Carlson is out of a job. Yeah. Okay. Some people celebrate it. But to Tucker's staff, I want you to know that I know what you're feeling. I work at The Daily Show, so I too have been blindsided by the sudden departure of the host of a fake news program. <laughs> That got kind of a laugh and then an uncomfortable <laughs> half laugh because everybody was like, are we supposed to laugh at a media person getting the hook at the yeah. correspondence dinner? Even yeah. if it's Tucker. It's it was it's an interesting position everyone found themselves in where like Tucker would have been an easy target had he still been employed. But no. <laughs> he's, he's getting paid though. He's getting paid out, right? On that same note, uh, Wood got into the Fox Dominion lawsuit. That's all I have to say about that because I'm not going to have Dominion on my ass. I love Dominion. Matter of fact, let me just say right now, my favorite voting machine is <laughs> Dominion voting machines. When I go to the polls, I make sure it is a Dominion machine that I use. If your election needs the truth, put Dominion in your booth. That's By the way, all night, Whoever was doing this for C-SPAN had some amazing reaction shots, including of the Fox News table where both Deuces were seated and often not laughing at the jokes. <laughs> the NFL or ESPN needs to hire this guy or gal for the NFL draft. Right? This, is, this is how you do a reaction shot. It's not what's all the, cheering. What's the younger Deuces name? Peter? Wait, I thought Peter was the dad. Oh, no. It's Steve's Steve, Steve, and Peter Ducey. All right, the two Ducies, the Deuce of Ducies. Is 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 that would be great if Peter was cracking up and Steve was not. <laughs> you know, and he looks over and looks at his dad, and then realizes he shouldn't. I think Steve was looking at his phone in one of the uh, cutaways I saw. Uh, finally, David, this last line didn't get a huge laugh because it was a little too close to home for the journos in attendance. But I thought this was pretty funny. 
All the essential fair and nuanced reporting, it's all stuck behind a paywall. People can't afford rent, people can't afford food, not healthy food, they can't afford an education, they damn sure can't afford to pay for the truth. Say what you want about a conspiracy theory, but at least it's affordable. He's not wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong. Coming no, up in 30 sir. seconds, did a reporter cross a red line when he asked a question to Sad Giannis? But first, David, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. This week's runner-up, anybody who reacted to talk show host Jerry Springer's death by saying, I hope they don't throw chairs in heaven. <laughs> Thanks to Lee Frank for that one. And this week's winner, quarterback Stetson Bennett IV, two-time national champion with the Georgia Bulldogs, went in the fourth round of the draft to the Rams. Stetson Bennett will be turning 26 years old during this season. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write. Stetson Bennett is going to be a great mentor for Matthew Stafford. <laughs> Thanks to Stephen Roderick. If you thought quarterbacks are getting almost as old as presidential candidates, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You wanna take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. All right, in the notebook dump, David, let's do a quick NBA segment. We're going to be doing these for another month and change now. So I think maybe we should, we need a name. Can mm -hmm. we call them the NBA today? Except it's with a two, like the number two. <laughs> all right, it sounds good style. to me. The e all right, here we go. The NBA today. I mentioned the Milwaukee Bucks, number mm -hmm. one seeds in the Eastern Conference. They lost to the eight seed, the Miami Heat. It's only happened four times in NBA history. Tough locker room, or shall we say, podium to approach as a reporter well eric neem the bucks beat writer for the athletic asked this question to Giannis attentacumpo i just asked bud the exact same question but i'm curious for you do you view this season as a failure anything wrong with that question in your eyes nope but i'm guessing uh certain team owners might not agree yeah mark cuban called it a gotcha question in a tweet when I saw that, I'm like, do I understand the definition of a gotcha question? <laughs> you trying to trap Giannis into saying something there? Yeah. You were overwhelming favorites in the series. You're one of the favorites to win the NBA title because you've been awesome all year and you lost in the first round. Mm -hmm. Is this a failure in your eyes? Seems pretty straightforward to me. Here's part of Giannis's answer. You asked me the same question last year, Eric. Okay, uh, do you get do you get a promotion every year on your job? No, right. So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right? Which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able I don't know 
um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents, you work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. You know, and if you've never, I don't, know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it personal. So there's always steps to it. You know, um, Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. Fascinating answer. Mm-hmm. Because he clearly did not love the framing of the question, but then is trying to explain himself at some length. Here's why I don't see the season like that. You asked me that last year. Let me take a shot at it here, and this is why I don't see it like that. What's funny to me about this is this seems like a pretty ideal post-game interaction between reporter and player. Yeah. Porter asked exactly what he wanted. Player said exactly what he wanted at some length and felt comfortable in taking issue with the framing of the question. Mm-hmm. And you look at this on Twitter and everybody just kind of loses their minds in one way or the other. Uh-huh. First of all, because people put this up like Giannis didn't like this question and already, you know, you're immediately setting people up on Twitter like, uh-oh, he yeah. didn't like it. Well, guess what? Players don't like questions all the time. Yeah. People you're interviewing don't like questions all the time. That's not the point. It's also not very remarkable that they wouldn't like a question, especially right after they lost a game. Yeah. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Well, it also got a really good answer. That's what I mean. And even even if the answer was taking exception on some level to the question, that's he got the answer. I know. And it just, it feels like what's happened is we've had this weird melding of aggregators who want to pull these things. Mm -hmm. Also the fact they're on TV at all. And then this kind of stand culture that's like, yeah, Giannis showed it to the reporter. Like none none of those things happen. Reporter asked a question. Giannis answered the question at some length. Well, it also shows, I think one of the problems that we come back to a lot, which is Mark Cuban or whoever is responding, like on some level, Mark Cuban is responding to the aggregation as if the aggregation is one and the same with the reporter asking the question. True. And that is not based in reality. But he's trying to give a journalism lecture about this on Twitter. Yeah. Don't ask gotcha questions. Don't Mm -hmm. ask questions that are about basketball. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's a completely fair question. It's a completely fair question. And by the way, I would I, I want to empower everybody in this scenario. I want to empower the reporter. I want to empower the player to answer. And then I want to empower people like you and me to look at Giannis's answer and be like, are you serious? Yeah. You don't think Michael Jordan thought it was a failure when he didn't win the NBA finals? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. We Did you check out the last dance? Yeah. Is this really you really? I understand you as a locker room presence and you as a face of this franchise and you as also an athlete who is having this conversation with yourself all season and all career long to keep yourself in the right mind frame about success and what's happening next and stuff. Really? Yeah. It's, It's not a failure. You don't think of it that way. Even for a minute. Yeah. I empower us to have that conversation too. I empower everybody. This is how it's supposed to work. Um, couple more for you here. Knicks Heat series in round two started Sunday. Heat took game one. Oh, Remember yeah. that conversation we had about how every mediocre movie from long ago eventually becomes a quote unquote cult classic? Oh yeah, for sure. Have we turned 90s Heat Knicks into a cult classic? I thought Where you were going to talk- ask if like every 90s playoff matchup that occurred more than once is a cold classic. <laughs> okay. Again, maybe so, but neat, but Nick's Heat on oh, 100%. Yes. Yes. We're talking about it like it's Lakers Celtics. It's like a high point of the NBA. It's like, man, it doesn't get any better than neat than, than well, it was the only, like, I'm sure there are other examples. I guess like Lakers, Laker, the Lakers Kings and the Lakers Blazers briefly during that era. Yeah. But man, and the East, that was the only like recurring playoff mat- matchup. And it seemed like for a few years, there was only, they were definitely going to meet every time. And for the, for, there just aren't many other examples of matchups that are like memorable for that whole generation, our generation, you know? So of course it has some, some, some meat, but 
Yeah, I mean, where did that really? It, this it's not Celtics Lakers, right? This isn't the NBA Finals. This is a thing that we remember because a coach got flung around like a, like a, <laughs> I don't even know, like, like an ankle weight, you know, like falling half off your foot while you're trying to run down the stairs. Uh, it was funny, you know. Um, I don't know if we're gonna get back to that that those heights this time, but it's fun to remember. I got a midsection update for you. Oh yes. Talked last week about announcers struggling to find the right PG-rated term when players are hitting the you-know-where. Yeah. Well, it happened again, David. Hawks-Celtics, game six. Oops. Two more seconds on the shot clock. 11 on the timer. 19 seconds left in regulation. Young had nowhere to throw it. Boy, he threw it right into the, the groin. Can we send that on TV? Wasn't his, his intention. <laughs> Listener Jason Friedman says that the No Dunks podcast calls this getting hit in the Hibberts. <laughs> Named after the time Shane Battier got Roy Hibbert in the Hibberts. <laughs> Jay Adams says the Men in Blazers pod calls this getting hit in the down belows. <laughs> okay. In the down belows. Uh, John McKay, a listener, t- tweets this at us. Hi, Brian. Being hit in the midsection is an ever-present concern for cricket batters. When a radio commentator in England mentions someone has been hit amidships, the listener <laughs> knows exactly the level of discomfort being felt being hit there by a rock-hard cricket ball. Amidships. I think any like three-syllable words spoken with a British accent uh, in the right <laughs> moment could, could identify that part of the body for me. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. Not sure it's going to catch on here quite in the same way, but I like it. Uh, Brian McKenna, I think, has the winner. He says NBA announcers should call it the restricted area. <laughs> Pretty good. That's funny, but I think that the previous examples did show that the plural is important, right? Because singular, you know, there's two different things that we could be talking about there, <laughs> and, they, and, and the, the you know the plural evokes a certain thing. I I I. Uh, yeah. Anyway. All right. Message to Ian Eagle, Kevin Harlan, anyone else listening. It's getting hit amidships. <laughs> Take it from us. Uh, I like res- no, we'll go with restricted area. Let's just go with it. No, 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 no. I like amidships better. Uh, finally, David, we lost talk show host Jerry Springer. Last week, he died of pancreatic cancer at the age of 79. Mm-hmm. I was thinking back to when you and I were in college. The only things I can remember watching on television were Jerry, Monday Night Raw, and sports. I'd given up sitcoms. I hadn't discovered The Sopranos. I, I got nothing. I mean, that that was all I watched on television. Oh, I think man. it was all we watched on television. What else? God, I don't know. See? There were sitcoms for a while. I'm sure we were still watching some of that stuff. I wasn't. This is pre-Lost. Lost wasn't on. Mm-hmm. And I, I have no recollection. And important for this conversation, it's pre at least what we know as the reality TV explosion. Oh, yes. Yeah. So like the real world was on, but none of the other stuff. Uh, Survivor's just about to start, right? So Jerry is also kind of this portal into, hey, it's real people doing real things on television and we're all... Smiling and laughing and having whatever how the, reaction. How about the e, Howard Stern's E Show? Was that <laughs> okay? That was that was probably in the rotation. <laughs> Didn't watch that as much. Um, yeah, no. Jerry Springer occupied a very singular place in not just our lives, but the sort of public imagination. Um, it was. I mean, that show was just monolithic. You know, I mean, it was. It's absolutely crazy. I talked about this a little bit on my other podcast um, because Jerry has a kind of years-long relationship with WWE, the pro wrestling world. But more specifically, I was talking about it because of the value of uh, the Jerry Springer show in terms of a sort of public awakening to the unreality of television. Mm. You know, now the place that I always go when 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 I'm talking about this is the Kardashian shows, right? It's just like, you can't watch Keeping Up With The Kardashians and then say, God, you know, wrestling's fake, right? That stuff, you know, because like we're all sort of 
implicitly aware that the stuff that goes on in so much reality TV is staged, right? It might be based in reality, but so could, you know, so is most music and theater and movie, you know, whatever. Um, but Springer was weirdly that too, because we all came out of this like generation of Donahue and even, you know, Oprah, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, Oprah's old stuff. Um, you know, there's so much stuff, uh, where, even though it was like hammy and like overwrought and and deliberately like trying to to you know bring up topics that were a little bit seedy or kooky or whatever else, there was the the implication was I mean we all watched it as if it was news, right? And then Jerry came along and I think I I said this on my last on my other show I said you know by the by the time you get to like the fifteenth pimp who wants to you know reconcile with his uh, lover brother or like whatever you're just like wait a second how many of these could there really be out there right and then you're just like oh what well, I'm not even watching for the subject matter I'm watching for the fights that come afterwards and then you know mm -hmm. et cetera et cetera you, you become aware you get your, the, you, the matrix uh, you, you, you get red pilled or whatever um, the, the fight where Jerry is crossing his arms and kind of looking disappointed at everything that's happening on his stage even though that's exactly what he's set up to happen <laughs> Yes, exactly. Uh, how you could, uh, how, whatever it takes in life to have you be totally like immune to the fact that a that a vicious brawl, weapon weaponized vicious brawl is happening <laughs> like ten feet away from you. It's pretty. It's a pretty impressive place to be. Well, it's the sort of anti Jeff Van Gundy in a way. <laughs> While there's a brawl, you're either hanging on to the ankle, uh, or you're or you're just standing there bemused. Well, that's what Steve Wilkos is for. Yeah. You're not letting the brawl get to you. Mm -hmm. He's breaking that thing up before it gets too big. Too big. I was watching clips over the weekend. I was amazed at how many Jerry Springer episodes devolve into two people together on one side of the stage, usually making out, and a third person on the other side of the stage trying to get at them and being held back. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a go-to for the show. Also, Jerry would throw it to a commercial and say, we'll be back. And then there'd be a standing ovation <laughs> from everyone in the crowd. Oh, this was the absolute peak of just crowd excitement. You know, I mean, there was like Arsenio Hall had a really exciting crowd way back in the day. Obviously, there are moments of pro wrestling and pro sports of like whatever, where they're actually at their peak. But man, if you showed up for the Jerry Springer audience at the peak, you were you were you were it was like going to the gladiator show in the arena or whatever. You were yeah. just there for the, you were the, the NFL up. draft, as we pointed out earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love your idea about unreality yeah. being foisted on Americans and Americans sort of figuring this idea out that these things could be real, but also packaged and heightened for your enjoyment. Let me add another one. Late nineties, the internet is coming. But it's also the end of where there was a certain kind of propriety enforced by television. Yeah. You could only go so far on TV in those days. Mm -hmm. And if you went any farther, you got bleeped. Oh, yeah. Or something was grainy, you know, mask was put over the TV. So you well, and even see that was, was a huge departure from just a few years before where that the, the, the graininess, if it wasn't aired live, the bleeping and the blurring would have never made it to air. Totally. Jerry is pushing that bar as far as he can. Mm -hmm. This was old TV propriety. This is 90s TV propriety. Yeah. But there still is such a thing as propriety. Mm -hmm. Because you remember there was a video called Jerry Springer Too Hot well, for TV. I was going to say, that's how you know it was before the internet, right? Because that video existed on VHS form exclusively, I believe. There might yes. have been a DVD. But uh, this whole idea of here are the things that happen on the show that we cannot show you on television. Yeah. Now that way, would just be television. Talking about the way he he pushed the boundaries, the pro wrestling, the the the, the pro wrestling parallel is kayfabe. Like Jerry had to pretend like this was all serious news coverage, because if he had been in there just in like a bullfighter outfit, just reveling in it, I don't think it would have flown. I don't think it would have been okay. He had you had to sort of pretend that this was the same thing as as you know, Geraldo from his his daytime <laughs> talk show 
I love that was the serious. Well, Donahue, Phil Donahue, I already said Donahue and Sally Jesse, but whatever. Like, whatever the series was. I thought you were going to say Walter Cronkite, but you went to, you had to pretend it was Geraldo. Yeah, you had to to pretend it was a a serious news show and you were talking about something serious or else, you know, you kind of blew it all up. Also, also the closing thought, right? The sort of like wrap up on the, on the, the Mass Man show. I wondered if it was, if that was deliberate as a way of sort of, pushing back against what they thought the, the 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 response to his show would be like was that a was that a canny move to sort of be like like hey fcc <laughs> look at this nice thing i'm doing yeah i think it i think even on a more basic level it f- makes the viewer feel less icky about what they just watched oh that's true because here's counselor jerry who is taking a lesson from what we've seen today and then take care of yourself and each other Mm-hmm. I'm really here just to bring people together, not here to get people to fight on my stage. Yeah. So it kind of cleanses you from the whole experience. Other thought I had was every sleaze master in American life eventually becomes a grand old man of sleaze. <laughs> Respected. Oh, remember the days when that happened? This happened to Hugh Hefner. Yeah. This happened to Vince McMahon, at least before news of the recent settlements. Mm-hmm. It happened to Oprah. Mm -hmm. When that show was seen in a certain way and then eventually everybody was like, "Uh, Oprah, can you please run against Trump so that we can retake the White House? Remember that idea was actually out there for a while. Oh, yeah. Absolutely happened to Jerry. Jerry was on Dancing with the Stars. Mm -hmm. Jerry was kind of a, you know, it's like, oh, only in America. Yeah. An American success story. He made himself. I wanted to play some audio. One of the all-time most known most gawked at jerry segments was called i married a horse yeah i'm sure well, we've you've all, seen we've, it, it's most seen because it's the most relatable right we've all been there <laughs> here is jerry explaining to meredith vieira the genesis of a i married a horse i'm not allowed to know what the show's about so they hand me a card like yours, which I carry, but all my card has on it are the names of the guests. I I'm didn't not know that. I never knew oh, that. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. And then I'm supposed to ask questions that you would ask sitting at home watching and then make jokes. Okay. But I never know what the subject is. So on this particular show, we got this guy, Bob, sitting there. I'll say Bob. I don't yeah. remember what his name was. Bob, what's going on? That's always my first question. And he says, oh, well, I'm having trouble with the neighbors. What's the problem? Well, they don't like my wife. What's wrong with your wife? Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. She doesn't make any noise. She doesn't talk to anyone. So this is going nowhere. So I, I figure, oh, this is boring. I look at the next name on the list, and it says Pixel. Well, let's bring out Pixel. And out comes this horse. I would love for that to be the way that episode unfolded, that Jerry did not know a horse was coming out. But as you say, packaged reality. Rest in power, Jerry Springer. All right, it's time for everybody's favorite sleazy segment. It's time for David Shoemaker guesses the strained pun headline. Yeah. Last Monday's headline about the Russian team's exclusion from Olympic basketball was nothing but yet. Today's headline comes from the case man. It's from NPR retail giant bed, bath and beyond has now filed for bankruptcy. NPR reports. Plans to begin closing its 360 Bed Bath & Beyond stores and 120 Bye Bye Baby stores. A vision of this chain survival is bleak. All right, David. Bed Bath & Beyond is no more. What was NPR's strained pun headline? Um, God, I feel like I saw enough of these that I should just be able to bring them back recall something bed bath and be mm. gone be bed bed <laughs> bath and it's um, almost like we were like see you in hell bed bath and beyond bed bath and um it's going to a better place david bed bath and the great beyond bed bath and the great beyond oh wow i remember an earlier round of headlines about bed bath and beyond Money problems that was called Bloodbath and Beyond. Oh, that's good. That was funny. He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Erica Cervantes. I'm back Wednesday with Press Box Final Edition. And then Shoemaker and I return Monday with more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, Dave. 
See you later, Brian. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the golden collection at UGG.com.